Hey, welcome to After Church Apologetics. I'm Courtney Seacrest here with Dr. Chris Jakeway and Pastor Leo Wilson, and we're inviting you to join us today in uncovering the truths that will challenge, inspire, and expand your perspective on Christianity. So let's get started. Welcome back. Today's question is, why did God kill children with a bear? This is an interesting one because no one has ever asked me this question. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'm talking in 40 years of apologetics. I've never been asked this question until this year. I've been asked this question six times. So it, it always makes me think that something has another one of those memes. It has to be out there or... Something's floating around. Right, right. Uh, and the question makes it sound like, and, and Leo will read the passage here in a moment, but it, it, the question makes it sound like, you know, it was just some innocent first graders with some lighthearted teasing and then an evil God sent cocaine bear to... <laughs> rip their heads off or whatever the uh implication being you know how could you worship such a god well that's a caricature of the real account the the bible doesn't actually say they died it's likely that some did but they were not innocent and and actually were were not children so i i remember the first time um i encountered this in a group i've read the passage before but I was at a high school youth camp. There's like three to 400 students. It's in a college university, uh, and there's a giant auditorium. And to get everything started, they were doing this like true or false, you know, God separated his sea and rescued his people from a, an, an oppressive Pharaoh. And it's like true, you know, and the kids are all pumped up. They're answering the questions. You know, God created one ring of power and he was able to control the world with it. And people were trying to destroy the ring. False, you know, and everybody's like the Lord of the Rings and like, they just thought it was great. Um, you know, God gave a superpower to a long-haired judge, and he was able to use a donkey's jawbone to, to, you know, kill all of his enemies. True, Samson, I recognize that name. And then there was the, God sent a prophet out to some culture, and some children were making fun of him being bald, and he mauled them with bears. And the kids were all looking around at their leaders because they have a pause gap. And I hadn't answered any of them for my students at this point. And I see other leaders over in the audience distanced away. They're like, no, that's not going to happen or anything else. And, and I said, so oh, I, it was the first bad. one I spoke up and I'm like, yes. And all of my students turned and looked at me like, how can you believe that? And I'm like, it's in the Bible. And then all of a sudden it showed up true and they just stared at me. And, and then like the whole auditorium kind of went silent. And I was oh just like, gosh. there was so much interesting things happening there from leaders to students realizing that it's like, well, that's not the loving Jesus I learned of in Sunday school. You know, like, how could you do that? So Let's do that. Let's read the passage. And then Chris will, uh, I'll emphasize certain words in there. But, you know, no part of scripture, when God gives it to us, uh, Paul tells Timothy, like, all scripture is beneficial for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and admonishing. There are a lot of details there that we just glaze over and don't realize that they're significant to the culture background of the story. So here we go. I'm in 2 Kings 2, 23 through 25. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. He turned around, looked at them, and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. 
Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. And he went on to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. Yeah, when it says uh, Bethel or Beit El in Hebrew, that's the Israelite center with a golden calf idol. So that's the reason he was going there. But uh, the NIV says youths in verse 23. What was the version you were looking at? That was an NIV. Uh, uh, oh, that, I think it was probably That's probably, right, yeah. right. The 84 NIV says youths. But the term na'ar in Hebrew actually means young man. And it applies to someone up to the age of 30. And this, by the way, is the exact same word used in Genesis 21 and 22 in the account of the binding of Isaac when Abraham and Isaac go to Mount Moriah. And we know, based on what the text says, that he's in his mid to late 20s, and it uses the same word to describe him, Naar. So this idea that they were children isn't accurate. It's probably a group of 20 to 30-year-olds. And... When it says they came out of the town, that's significant also because it means that they came out as a group. This wasn't a random action. Uh, They came out as a group, which suggests some kind of intent. And then it says that 42 of them were mauled. Baka in Hebrew means to to tear. There are people who live through that, but um, certainly some would have... uh, died, but it also means if 42 were attacked, that some escaped. So what was the total number of people there? Well, we're not told. A hundred? A couple hundred? I mean, Elijah faced 850 at Mount Carmel. That's a lot of people to get roasted by at one time. The the other interesting word here, the phrase, go up, uh, in the NI4, uh, 84 NIV, it says... um, Go on up, you bald head, or baldy, like you said. In Hebrew, the word Allah, and it's the same word used of uh, uh, Elijah here in 2 Kings 2, verse 2, Elijah said to Elisha, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. Remember, at Mount Carmel, he confronted false religion. So they went down to Bethel in verse 11 as they were walking and uh Walking along and talking, suddenly a chariot of fire appeared, separated two of them, and Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Everybody would have known about this in Bethel. So this mob of young men here is comparing the two prophets. They're comparing Elisha's lack of hair uh, that's being contrasted with the appearance of Elijah, who, remember in 2 Kings 1.8, describes him as having a garment of hair. So the ridicule here they're giving Elisha is sort of like saying, you don't measure up to Elijah. So they challenge him, you know, go up. Why don't you do that ascension trick like your mentor? You're, you know, you're not a real prophet. He was covered with hair. You're bald. Prove you're a prophet. Go up. Go up in the air like he did. Elijah was going up the road to Bethel and then went up out of sight. So they're saying, in effect, Do the same thing he did, get lost. That's their intent. Oh, interesting. And the significance of Bethel here adds to it in 1 Kings 12, in 26 to 31, because this is the city they 
came out of. After Solomon died, remember, this is the period of the divided kingdom, we call it in biblical history, where the ten tribes to the north think that the next king after Solomon should be Jeroboam, who was sort of like Solomon's right-hand man, Solomon's general, where the two tribes to the south that take the name Judah, they think Rehoboam should be king. Jeroboam says here, he's thinking, if these people go up to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, they will give their allegiance to Rehoboam, king of Judah. They will kill me and return to King Rehoboam. After seeking advice, the king made two golden calves. So that wasn't great advice, it turns out. He said to the people, it's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. You know, kind of like making it seem like it's too far to travel. You know, it's a three-day walk, basically, from where they were. Here are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. One, one of the idols, it means, he set up in Bethel and the other in Dan. And this thing became a sin. Jeremiah, it says, built shrines on high places. That's a place for pagan worship and appointed priests from all sorts of people, even though they were not Levites. So Bethel here, where this happens, was the major cult center in Israel for false worship. And Leo and I talked about this uh, uh, a while back. It's kind of interesting. There are manuscripts of the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that have an extra... uh, few lines in this passage that say men were throwing stones at Elisha. They weren't just taunting him. Now, I don't think that's probably in the original text, but it does at the very least show that there were scribes 2,300 years ago who thought that they threatened Elisha. Uh, Certainly the people of Bethel didn't want him at their golden calf shrine because he was going to confront their idolatry. So this was a mob of young men, uh, maybe students, or some commentators have suggested even sons of the idolatrous uh, priests at Bethel, who are antagonistic to Elisha's prophetic ministry, to his authority. So they're sent by the priest of Bethel to prevent Elisha from entering the city. And, and, And keep in mind also, You know, this is the middle of the day. Young men didn't have the luxury of just going for a walk. I mean, people would be in the fields working or whatever their uh, job was. It's not like somebody said, hey, let's get 100 guys together and just kind of go for a walk because it's a nice day. I mean, (laughs) if young men gathered for battle on a a road or gathered together— it, it was for war. It was for some purpose. If you saw a group of people, it was a threat. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I think they make it seem like... Because, you know, young kids are, like, extremely honest. Like, you'll be, like, walking in a, in a grocery store and you'll, like, make unfortunate eye contact with a four-year-old and they'll be like, you're ugly. Or, like, say something and you're like, thanks. You know, they're, like, being really honest. So they make it seem like it was a passerby child, like, frolicking in the street that said, you're a baldy. Random thing. And then they just get, you know, tackled by a cocaine bear, (laughs) like Chris said. Well, and if you're walking toward a town where you know the people there hate you, 
and then a large group comes out of that town heading toward you, that's clearly a threat. Yeah, you and know what's going on. Yeah, their public insult then against Elisha was ultimately aimed at God, at the God Elisha represented. And really at this point, biblically, his whole ministry is in jeopardy. So this challenge had to be dealt with decisively. The arrival of the two bears here, the question suggested one, but uh, served as a a judgment on them and also on Jeroboam's uh, cult center. And there's a couple verses in Leviticus 26 that help explain this. Remember, the people of Bethel were Israelites, and God told Israel this in Leviticus 26. If you reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out all my commands and so violate my covenant, then I will do this to you. I will bring upon you sudden terror. Then it lists examples, including this one. I will send wild animals against you and they will rob you of your children. So in this passage with Bethel, the violation of the covenant brought the covenant curse. And one of those, it already said, they were warned, you'll be attacked by wild animals. So it, it, it's... That's on them for taking the risk. It's then. actually a fulfillment <laughs> At that point. Uh, of that. So the outcome of the miracle here, because it was God's intervention, was to break up this mob, to frighten the offenders, uh, but also to warn the city. And... 42 were attacked. We don't know how many survived, but those who did uh, learned a serious lesson that day that God's message is real and it's serious and Elisha is his new prophet and that their golden calf God failed to protect them, right? Mm. They should have been protected. They had just made this allegedly powerful God out of gold. Well, that turned out to be useless, so... This is in scripture, I think, as a reminder that blasphemy against the true God will be met with consequences. Yeah, it's a cool example that God does what he says he's going to do, even if it seems like, you know, it might be insignificant to somebody else. Yeah, I also like the fact that he personally intervened uh, when Elijah called down the curse because Deuteronomy 18, 19 says, I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to the words that the prophet speaks in my name. So he, he's, he's fulfilling that, right? He's addressing that personally. It was funny when I was at that event with all the high school students. They're like, why, why would God do that? And I'm like, respect your elders, young ones. Yeah. And they just kind of looked at me like, is it really about that? I'm like, it's about respecting God at least. So. I just see a bunch of like wide-eyed kids looking at all the leaders like, explain yourselves. Yeah. Well, the, the sudden moment of I had no idea what I was talking about as yeah. a leader if I thought that was true because they have a predefined idea of who God is, not knowing what scripture says about his character of being loving and just. I think this applies to this passage also in Second Chronicles 36, verse 16 says, They mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of God was aroused against his people. And I think the reason passages like this trouble us so much and questions come up about things like that is simply that we don't hate sin as much as God does. 
you know, we talked about this same point with the Canaanites and other hard passages where it seems like God's being very harsh, but uh, the issue is with us. We don't like that God judges our sin. But Paul said in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Yeah, we, I've said this before, I'm sure, but like the idea that sin is unhealthy versus sin is deadly, like we, we don't. We don't understand sin enough to, to fully, or we don't appreciate it enough to understand its, its deep depravity. Like we do not want to sin, not because it's unhealthy, but because it's spiritual death. It's not, it's not anything that we should do. Thanks for hanging out with us on After Church Apologetics today. To submit a question for a future episode of our show, you can email us at podcast at bcfriends.org. Remember, the pursuit of truth is ongoing, so we'd like to encourage you to continue seeking and engaging with the topics that we've discussed for yourselves. And as we conclude this episode, we want to remind you that respectful dialogue can bridge gaps and build connections. We'll see you next time.